Well, we're coming to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we're going to particularly think about the early part of this section from verse 4. And I want to think with you this morning about the whole subject of belonging. One of the deepest needs that human beings have, I'm sure you would agree, is to have a sense of belonging, isn't it? Do you agree with that? We don't want to really feel that we're isolated or on our own. We want to feel somehow that we belong. And it's an interesting subject this, isn't it? The whole subject of belonging. I've been pondering this during the week. And I think our culture uh, is confused in a sense about this. One One of the issues in our culture, some of you will know philosophically, cleverer men than me tell me that we're living in what's called the postmodern age and um, postmodernism really has a big issue with big stories the whole issue with our modern culture is that you need to find your own truth and you need to be very suspicious of anyone who tells you that there's a big story out there that is coherent and is true for everyone But that makes belonging very difficult, doesn't it? If there is no big story, how can we belong to something with any sense of purpose? And I think that's one of the reasons why our society often feels very fragmented. People don't know what the big story is anymore. I think another reason why this, this idea of belonging is difficult in our culture is there's a real tension here, isn't there, with the whole cult of individualism. And what attention there is in our culture for that. People want to be unique. And they want to express, don't they, their individuality. One of the, we're, my business is involved in product design. And one of the things we've noticed as a trend over the last few years is the trend to personalise products. You can even go on the web now and design your own trainers. And you can, you can kind of customise them and then they'll send to you a pair of trainers that are unique to you as an individual. It used to be the case that people wanted big brands. Now people want to be unique and individualistic. But it's hard, isn't it, to catch these two things. We don't want to be so individualistic that we're on our own, but we don't want to be swallowed up and just become a number either. And so there's tension here, isn't there? in our culture and I I think people have a very real sense of longing to belong somewhere somehow well we're going to think about this whole subject this morning from a biblical viewpoint I think the people that Peter's writing to here in the first century not in our culture also had issues with belonging Just look with me at the very beginning of 1 Peter again because Peter tells us who he's writing to and uh, just to emphasise this idea of belonging Peter says he's writing to, in verse 1 God's elect, that is God's chosen people just on the first page of 1 Peter there and he calls them strangers in the world and that they're scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Later on, Peter tells us in verse 6, 
that they are greatly rejoicing in what God has done for them in their lives through Jesus but they are now for a little while suffering grief in all kinds of trials so here are people who perhaps in a very real sense don't know who they are they're scattered over a wide area a little group here, a little group there a little group there they, they, they know that they don't really belong to this world now that they've come face to face with the claims of Jesus their home is in a different place so they feel like strangers in the world and they're also under great pressure suffering because of their faith if ever there was a group of people who needed to know that they belong this people are it, are they? We've seen how Peter describes their experience of God. What has happened to them is amazing. Peter tells us that they've been born again into a living hope. They've been born into a completely new way of life. He even says that it's the precious blood of Jesus, not money, that has redeemed them from the empty way of life that's been handed down for them from their ancestors and forefathers. These are new people in Christ. And understanding and believing this, as we've seen, is the key to change. Their lives are to be different now. They must live out in practice, even in their difficult culture, what they now are in Christ. And that's where we've been over these past weeks. And the motivation for all of this, as we saw just last time, just at the end of verse 3 there, chapter 2, is that they've begun to taste something of the goodness of Jesus. This isn't for them about keeping rules. This isn't for them about doing religious things. The thing that has gripped them and captivated their hearts is the goodness of Jesus. And the reason I want to talk with you about belonging is because people, Peter says it right here in the verses that Tim read to us, verse 9. Peter piles up all these descriptions to try and encourage them not just to think individually but corporately and he says to them there in verse 9 you are a people belonging to God you are a people who belong to God just like that settle for you and the people sitting next to you for all other millions of believers in Jesus all over the world you are a people who belong to God. That is a real message of good news for a culture that is very confused about belonging. Well, I want to give you three basic ideas uh, today and um, some, some subheadings under these three basic ideas. But let's try and break open. I want to particularly look with you at verse 4 and 5 uh, this morning. As you come to him, that is Jesus, the living stone, who was rejected by man, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. First of all, then, I hope you like this picture, by the way. You've got a point of that, haven't you? First, the first thing I want to say is you belong to God because of Jesus. It is all about Jesus. 
And um, let me give you some subheadings here. First of all, Jesus is the key. Notice, first of all, that Peter says that all of this biblical view of belonging depends on them coming to Christ. As you come to him, so you belong to God. The key to the whole subject of belonging is Jesus. I want to say to you this morning that the greatest alienation that we suffer as human beings is not horizontal but vertical. The greatest estrangement that has befallen humankind is the estrangement between us and God. The biggest issue we have is not horizontal but vertical. In fact, that vertical estrangement is what causes all the other horizontal estrangements and alienations. So the first thing we need to get right is how can I be overcoming the separation that there is between me and this God? And the amazing message of the Bible, and we've already been singing about it and thinking about it, is that this amazing God calls to us to come home and has sent Jesus, his son, into the world to bear the consequences of our sins going astray from him so that we could be reconciled. What a, what a brilliant Bible word that is. Reconciled to God through Jesus. And that's really what Peter's alluding to, is it? isn't it? These people have come to Christ. If you want to belong to God, the way to belong to God is to come to Jesus. He's the key. And it, and it agrees with what Jesus himself taught, doesn't it? What Peter's saying here, he was a disciple of Jesus. He heard all the things that Jesus taught. And what was it that Jesus taught there in Matthew chapter 11? I'll just read it to you. Um, Jesus said, Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What was the word that Jesus loved to use more than any other word? It's the word come. Jesus came into the world to invite people to come. Not, not to come to something else or somewhere else, but to come to him personally. He makes an invitation to all men everywhere in all places to come to him. Come to me and I will give you rest. So Peter's uh, statement here as you come to him is an echo really, of Jesus' own invitation. I want to um, say to you also that um, many people get mixed up about Christianity and they, they can accept the idea that it's coming to Jesus. We had Jehovah's Witnesses who came to our house on this last week and it's amazing how you can talk to Jehovah's Witness on the doorstep and you can talk about Jesus and they'll agree with you. 
oh yes, we believe that Jesus came and died for our sins. But when you get to the subject of forgiveness and assurance, salvation, being right with God, Jehovah's Witness knows nothing about that because it is always Christ plus something else. In the case of a Jehovah's Witness, it is Christ plus my own efforts. But actually, Peter here is describing the simplicity of the Gospel that it's Christ plus nothing that saves you. It isn't Christ plus a little bit of your own efforts that saves you. It is Christ alone who saves you. Now, let me, let me just pause here and give you another example. I, I don't want to be divisive or, or cause conflict here, but I think Peter's mindful here of incidents that happened in his lifetime between him and Jesus 30 years before he's writing this letter. Do you remember that when Jesus first came to Peter, his name was Simon? And Jesus came to him, you can read about it in John's Gospel, and he said to him, you will be called Cephas, which is an Aramaic name, and it really means stone or rock. The Greek version of that Aramaic name is Petros, which is the name Peter. No one was called Peter before that happened. It wasn't even a name. Fancy calling someone stone. (laughs) It wasn't a popular name. Nobody calls their child. I think, what? Paul and Jenny having a baby. Let's call him or her Stone. (laughs) Nobody was called Peter before Jesus gave Simon the nickname Rock. You're called Simon. Your nickname will be Rock. Later on, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples and he says to them, Hey guys, when you go about your business, who do people say that I am? And the disciples are sort of chatting it over and they give him a few answers. And then Jesus, in that way that only he can, goes right for the jugular and looks them right in the eye and says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, ever being the spokesman for the rest of the group, jumps in and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Simon, for this was not revealed to you by other people, but by my Father in heaven. God has opened your eyes to see who I really am. And then Jesus says something very strange. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, this is... I suppose where I wanted to get to. The Roman Catholic Church uses this passage to teach that Peter was the first Pope and that his successors have Peter's authority. Let me read to you something uh, from a Catholic uh, writing. This passage in Matthew, where Jesus is having this encounter, proves that Peter was the first Pope The Pope is crowned with a triple crown as king of heaven and earth and hell. And the Catholic Church teaches that our Lord conferred on St. Peter the first place of honour and jurisdiction in the government of his whole church and that same authority has always resided in the Pope's 
or bishops of Rome being the successors of St. Peter. Just listen carefully to the rest of this quote. Consequently, to be true followers of Christ, all Christians, both among the clergy and the laity, must be in communion with the See of Rome, where Peter rules in the person of his successor. Did you catch what that last sentence said? If you're going to truly follow Christ, you need to be part of the Roman Catholic Church. That's what that sentence says. That would mean, if that's true, that we are not true followers of Christ. Can you see what's going on there? Christ plus the church. Christ plus something else. You can come to Christ, but you can only come to him through the church. That is an, it's interesting, you know, Peter here, allegedly the first pope, is making a commentary on this whole idea of what happened to him with Jesus in the Gospels. And Peter says to them, not as you come to me, not as you come to the church. What does Peter say? As you come to Christ. There's no intermediary needed. There is no third party that needs to get involved. What needs to happen is that you as an individual need to personally and individually come to Jesus himself. Not Christ plus something else, but Christ alone. Well, I hope um, hope that's clear. Uh, to you I want you to notice also the tense that Peter uses here is not in the past and here's a little word for those of you who have come to Christ Peter says here as you come to him the tense there is like a continuous present tense what he's really saying is you are continually coming to Jesus some Christians you know they look back you know to 30 years ago and they've got a little card somewhere they draw it home that says they came to Christ on the 3rd of March 1953 or something and they're, they're kind of that's great but this coming to Christ isn't a once only past time event is it this verse sums up the whole of the Christian life To begin the Christian life, you need to come to Christ. To live the Christian life, you need to keep coming to Christ every moment of every single day. You can never say, I came to Christ 30 years ago or 10 years ago or one year ago and everything's sorted now. The secret of living the Christian life is to keep being plugged into Jesus. Coming to Christ, past, present and future. The Greek word that Peter uses here is a very intimate, face-to-face, relational word to continually be coming to Jesus. One writer says this, once you've trusted Christ as Saviour, the entire Christian life is a process of discovering all that he is to you. Learning more about him every day, every week, every month, every year. 
What an inexhaustible saviour he is. So we keep coming to him. And it takes effort, doesn't it, as well? It doesn't happen automatically. We need to resolve in our hearts to live in a way that reflects a continual coming to Jesus. To resolve that that's the direction that our life is going in. And that we haven't done it once and now we're just sailing and coasting. Maybe there's someone here who needs to refresh and re-establish and revive that sense of coming to Christ. Heart and soul. Devotion to him. Better write on, otherwise we'll run out of time. Jesus is the key. Jesus also is the living stone. What kind of a metaphor is that? What a paradox. A living stone. We talk about people being stone cold dead. How can a stone or a rock be alive? It's a very interesting and profound metaphor that he uses here, Peter. As you come to him, that is Jesus, he could have given Jesus many, many different names, but he chooses to give Jesus this name. Jesus is the living stone. We've been thinking a little bit already, haven't we? This idea of God being a rock is uh, is very common in the Bible. And uh, what does it say to you? Let me throw that question out. When, when When you hear that, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock, what does that illustration say to you about God? It'll keep you all awake. What do you think? Say again. Solid. Good. What else? Strong. Yeah, strength. Unchangeable. Good. Foundation. Excellent. Immovable. Yeah. Any any others? You've got the idea. Strong. Stable. Immovable. It's got the idea of permanence about it, hasn't it? It's got the idea of reliability about it. Our God is a reliable rock. He is strong and eternal. Well, Peter quotes from, well, he quotes from three passages, but two main passages. He quotes from Isaiah 28, where God is challenging his people to rely on him as their foundation. He's challenging them not to trust in lies, but to trust in God, who is their rock. And that's what uh, it says there in verse 6. God said to them, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. What God is pleading with them is, I am your rock. Trust me. Don't be carried away with the lies that the world will give you. Come and put your hope in me and build your life on a solid foundation. And the second quotation, the main part of the quotation, is this idea of this cornerstone or foundation stone being rejected by the builders and then becoming the most important stone in the whole building. 
And that comes from Psalm 118. And then there's a brief reference there, I think, to Psalm 8. Uh, sorry, Isaiah 8 as well. So we've got this idea of God being a rock. To a Jewish mind, the rock is Jehovah. Yahweh, the rock of Israel. He is the one that they stand on. And, and his attributes are that he's perfect and just. He's unique. He's a fortress, a refuge, a stronghold, a foundation for every successive generation. Does it remind you of a story Jesus told about two men who wanted to build a house? And one of them thought, I'll get the quick flat pack from Ikea and I'll build it on the beach. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure the tide will never come in. If you, I grew up living near Southport and the tide is always miles out. People actually park on the beach. He must have thought, I'll get the flat pack, I'll throw it up, we'll have a barbecue, invite the neighbours round, it'll all be fine. The other guy gets out his best drills he finds a solid rock and he drills down into the rock. He fills it with cement. He builds the house on a strong rock. Jesus says, then the weather changes and the storm comes and the wind blows and the, the hurricane batters. And you know what happens. The house on the sand gets washed away and the house that's built on the rock stands firm. We sung about it in Sunday school. God is the rock. Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. Jesus is saying, come to me. I am Jehovah, the rock, for you to build your life upon. And that's what Peter's saying here. As you come to Jesus, you are coming to the rock. The solid stone that you can build your life on. The amazing thing here is that this stone is not an it or a thing. This stone is a living person. The Lord Jesus Christ. Can we get our heads around that profound picture? The image here is one of permanence and stability and security. And a fullness of life. Joy. The living stone. As you come to him. The living stone. I want you to um, notice uh, lastly. That this text says that Jesus also is precious. You can see why that's the case. Jesus is precious to God. When Jesus was baptised by John the Baptist, John the Baptist heard a voice from heaven where the Father, this is the mystery of the Trinity, isn't it? The Father says, here is my son. Isn't he fantastic? Wow. Isn't he brilliant? It's Father's Day today. God the Father puffing his chest out in pride because Jesus is amazing love him, listen to him he is the rock that you can build your life on if he's precious to God ought he not be, to be precious 
to us. I want to say, as this verse says, just let's pause here and just apply this to our hearts. I want to say to you that how you respond to Jesus Christ is utterly crucial. There's no one like him. Chosen by God, sent a saviour. And yet here, Peter tells these poor, suffering, scattered believers that this saviour that is now precious to them, precious to God, is rejected by men. Peter quotes from Psalm 118 because Jesus quoted from Psalm 118 and applied it to the religious leaders who who rejected him. Peter also quoted it when he preached in Acts chapter 4. I think this verse was a very precious reminder to Peter and to other believers that Jesus is precious but not to everyone. There are those who hate him and reject him and dismiss him I was thinking about that word reject I'm not, I'm not a Greek scholar as you know but it's good to have books that help you to understand what Greek words mean and this word has the idea of quality control in it and it made me chuckle to myself that I was going to bring my tape measure this, this, this word reject has the idea of quality control in it it's got this idea of examining something very carefully to see whether it cuts the mustard and then going, nah. We'll put that to one side. In the, we, we have quality control at work. We have red boxes and green boxes and amber boxes. And when something's in a red box, that's trouble. That means it's been measured and it's not right and it's in a red box until it's sorted. When it's in a green box, it's good to go. And uh, that's our quality control system. It means to examine something to judge something for the religious leaders they, they got their tape measures out and they measured Jesus they ran the rule over him and he did not stack up with their expectation of what the Messiah should be and they said nah we'll put him to one side we'll go our own way thanks they rejected him it's like a CV, isn't it? Interview process. You kind of examine the candidate and then you decide whether to give them a job or not. These religious leaders, they didn't want Jesus. One writer says this, when the Jewish leaders looked at the stone who had invaded their religious world, he was not wanted. He did not fit in with their theological plans and was useless and unfit for what they were building they were building a different thing and this stone didn't measure up I think Peter is trying to encourage these believers because they're suffering for their faith they have come to love Jesus they haven't seen him as it says in chapter 1 verse 8 but they love him some of them it's cost them their jobs some of them it's cost them friendships and livelihoods and some of them maybe it's even cost their lives and this 
is the issue, isn't it? That it's not a personal thing. It's a representative thing. When you come to Jesus, it is possible that it will cost you because people reject him. So I, I want to ask you, have you come to Christ? This is the secret of belonging to God. The truth is that faith in Jesus is the thing that divides people. This is the dividing line. John Piper says, the dividing line is belief versus unbelief. Believing or not believing Jesus Christ separates people into two distinct camps. Believers are joined to God and are his people and one day will be exalted with Christ in heaven. Unbelievers who do not repent are in the darkness heading for judgment. Jesus Christ is the central issue in belief or unbelief. Either he is the cornerstone on whom a person puts his faith and builds his life or he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence over which a person falls. It comes down to Jesus. Do you trust him? That is the essence of Christianity. If you believe in him, you cannot lose. If you don't believe in him, you can never win. That's what this passage teaches. Jesus means something to everyone, whether they know it or not. He will either be the stone that you build on or the stone that will crush you. He will either be your foundation or your judgment. These people had come to him. And can I plead with you and urge you to come to Christ? That's Christianity in a nutshell. To come to Jesus. And that's the key to belonging to God. Let's move on to my second um, heading then. You belong to God because of Jesus. I want to say to you corporately, you belong to God together and not just as individuals. And the first point there is that those who belong to God receive the same life, the life of Christ. This is what unites Christian people. Isn't it interesting that Peter says, as you come to him, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a house. Those who come to Jesus become like him. He's the living stone. When you come to him, you become like him and can be part of the building that's built on him as the foundation. When you come to Jesus, his life is infused into your heart and life. He's the source, the foundation. I was messing about with my lawnmower this week. It's a little petrol-powered thing. And... Um, the problem was the, the spark. There was fuel in it, but there was no power there. The engine just wouldn't kick in. The, the, the spark was not there. The electricity to make the engine kick in wasn't there. This is the Christian life. Jesus is the source, the spark of life. His life is your life when you come to him. You are joined to him. Do you remember when we were looking at John's Gospel and it talks about the vine? Jesus said to his disciples, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And the, the sap and the life in the vine flows into the branches 
so that the branches can bear big fat grapes. Fruit. You can't live as a branch on your own, disconnected from the vine. As you come to him, you receive the same life. What an amazing thing it is to belong to God, having come to Christ, to be welcome, to be accepted, to be part of God's family, to be in the house. (laughs) Can I say it like that? To be part of God's family. When I think about what I would be, if it were not for Jesus. When you think, where would I be if it were not for God calling me out to this great privilege to belong to God through Jesus? You've received the same life together. There's another very interesting metaphor here then. That those who come to Jesus, the living stone, are being built into a very special building And here's the deal. This is the image. Every time a person becomes a Christian, it's like, there's another brick. Every time someone becomes a Christian, there's another brick. And this building is being built. And the individual bricks, which are pretty useless on their own as bricks, are being built together into a building. And it's not just any old building. This building, Peter uses the phrase here, spiritual house. What he's really saying is, this building is a temple. And you know the significance of that. In the Old Testament, the temple was the place, symbolically, where God lived. The temple is God's house. It's God's address. Now we know God doesn't live in temples built by people. But to symbolise that he was with them, God symbolically lived right in the holy place in the middle of the temple. The temple was where God lived. So this is the image. Those of you who are Christian believers, you're a brick. Every time someone becomes a Christian, they get built into this house. And the temple's being built. Why? So that God can live in this building. The church is not a building. It is made up of people and God living corporately in his people. How amazing is that? All that stuff in the Old Testament is a picture of this reality. Can I say to you that you don't go to church or come to church. You are the church. Can I say it like that to you? You are a brick in this temple. The church is not a building. It's people who are being grafted together so that God can dwell in them corporately. Now we know that God indwells individual believers. That's a great truth in the Bible. But this is a corporate thing. The thing that unites us as Christian believers is that God dwells in the midst of his people. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are members of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, 
with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. You don't come to church. You are the church. So this this is the big story. If people are confused about what the big story is, here's a big story for you. That God in history is building a people for himself. That is the main thing that is going on in God's world. And he's calling individual people to be part of that new building that he dwells in by his spirit. I think this verse will help us to appreciate how much we need one another as Christians. One writer says this, God has a purpose for all of us to fulfil that we cannot fulfil individually. The Christian who is not working in relationship with other Christians as fellow stones as well as with Jesus Christ as his or her foundation cannot fulfil God's complete purpose for him or her. While every Christian has an individual purpose, we also have a corporate purpose that we cannot fulfil unless we take our place in the community of Christians that is the church. This is countercultural because our culture wants to be individualistic and it doesn't like the whole issue of loyalty, commitment, responsibility. But the Christian church is different because of Jesus. We're joined together, part of the same family. When one of the bricks is missing, it isn't the same. That is our identity as Christian people. But this metaphor is really interesting, isn't it? Because Peter could have stopped there. And I just want to make this third point that you are serving God together. Because Peter amazingly says, you are not just the building, the temple, but you are also the priests that serve in the building. How can you get, you couldn't draw that, could you? You are the bricks and, and God is building his temple of individual Christians, but at the same time, you are all the priests who serve in that temple. You are both the temple and the priesthood. Now this is an interesting thing, because in the Old Testament, you had to be very special to be a priest. That you couldn't be a priest if you were one of the riffraff. You know, that you had to be born in the right family, you had to wear the right stuff, and even then, there were certain things that you could only do once a year. Peter saying that every single Christian believer who has come to Jesus is a priest who can come near to God every day, every moment. You don't have to come through a priest. Every Christian is a priest. That's what Peter says here. As you come to him, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. We are the building and the priest. You can't get your head around it. It's a, the living stone, the building and the priesthood. 
Peter's stretching language to try and describe this great reality. This is not just an empty shell, but we're serving God together in his power as well. And I suppose the last point, we've touched on it already, is that those who belong to God in this way, having come to Christ, will often be ridiculed by the world. And this passage not only spells out the privilege of belonging to God by virtue of our identity with Jesus, the living rock, but it also explains the fact that we're not at home in this world. Our rejection by the world is really a statement about Jesus. And there is a cost in following Christ. You cannot follow Jesus and be mates with this world system. We have to live in the world, but we're not of this world. Well, we've covered a lot of ground there. I want to just close with one final point, which is a brief point. Why is all this so? Well, this is my third heading, and it's derived here from these verses. You belong to God because of Jesus. You belong to God together, not just individually. And you belong to God in order that his goodness would be known and admired and praised. Just look at verse 9. Peter just is falling over himself to describe how huge this is. And he says to them, some people reject Jesus, but you, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people belonging to God. Why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You belong to him. It's interesting that we've got flags in here today. It's because we've been watching the World Cup. There's a flag for every team that's in the World Cup. We were messing about with the kids, trying to get, getting them to name all the flags. They're all here, all the World Cup teams. What God is doing in history is creating a new nation, a new race, a new country that is predicated on being joined to Jesus. And he's calling people out of every single one of these countries. Every country in the world. Every tribe and language and people. This is a global mission. It talks about it in Revelation. Every different kind of country will be represented there. And what will be the thing that will join us together? It will be Jesus. Belonging to God because of Jesus. Why? So that we can declare his praises and his goodness sometimes I think people say things like this oh how precious I must be to God for him to have loved me so much that's very true but 
it misses the point of the gospel. And I, I hope you can get your head around this. The gospel is not primarily about you and me. And I want to encourage you that this is good news, not bad news. The gospel is primarily all about him. What God is doing in the gospel is showing off his amazing grace. What God is doing in the gospel is saying, look at what I'm like. That I can lavish my kindness on people who don't deserve it. That I can lavish membership of my house to people who've run away. I can call them to come home and welcome them in like a prodigal son. Do you know why? Not because of what they're like, but because I want to show off what I'm like. God saves people not because they are great, but because he is great. Can you see that that is a solid foundation for you to build your salvation on? I don't know if I'll ever be good enough. It doesn't matter whether you're good enough. He's good enough. He calls you not to say anything about you, but to say something about him. Isn't that amazing? That your salvation is bound up in God's reputation. God cannot let you down because that would say something about his faithfulness. Oh, I worry that God will let me go. He won't let you go because his reputation's at stake, not yours. He loves you. And he cares for you. And he does it all to the praise of his glory because there is no one like him because he is the rock eternal. The whole point of the gospel is that we will stand back and say, Wow, isn't God great? I hope that will be true for every one of you. As you come to him, the living storm, rejected by man, sadly, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are being like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Amen.